Hello and welcome to the Future Father Dave podcast. Join me, a Catholic seminarian, each week as I share the story of my vocation and prepare to embark upon the journey of a lifetime as a Catholic priest. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Future Father Dave podcast. I have officially survived my first full week of classes here at St. Meinrad Seminary, and I am just incredibly blessed to be where I am right now. I'm part of a, a wonderful community and uh, settling in really well here um, at St. Meinrad and the Glen Mary House of Studies. So really, really thankful to uh, for all the many blessings that God has given me. So. I'll go ahead and kick this episode off with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for all the bountiful blessings that you have um, shed upon me this week. I thank you for um, all of the, the wonderful food and fellowship that I've been able to enjoy this week. I feel like we've had... Uh, quite a few uh, feasts this week, and uh, I just thank you for uh, this time to be uh, in community with not only my Glen Mary brothers, but also my fellow seminarians up at on the hill at St. Meinrad. And I just pray for a um, successful start to the semester for all of us as we uh, continue our studies, some of us just beginning our studies and some of us continuing um, after many years, and I just pray blessings over our time here that we may open our hearts and our minds to learn more about you and to know you and to serve you well into the future. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So, my rose from this week, yet, from this week was a game of soccer that we played uh, I forget exactly which night it was, but one of the nights this week, we had a really awesome game of soccer and uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, a lot of these guys in Glen Mary, as I mentioned last week, are from Africa and they're really good at soccer. And I am not very good at soccer, but I got a lot better. Uh, this was the second time that I've played with them and the first time I was terrible. And I actually noticed a significant improvement here the second time that I played this week, which was really rewarding to be able to actually, you know, be a, a bigger part of the team and, and contribute in some meaningful ways. I scored scored some goals and had some, some stops, and yeah, it was, it was cool. Um, it's definitely not, still not my favorite sport or not my strongest sport by any means, but um, definitely had a lot of fun with them, and I could tell they appreciated my effort too um so that was cool and uh my bud for this week is that we have a long weekend coming up because of labor day so you know we're our, we're only one weekend and we've already got a day off from classes so that's nice um next monday and uh i have some friends visiting uh my friends matthew and michaela brown from dayton ohio are coming and they're friends of mine from Clemson, and they just got married in July. I was a part of their wedding. I got to be an altar server at their wedding, so that was really cool to be a part of that. And um, 
looking forward to hosting them down here at St. Meinrad. They're, they're going to stay for dinner uh, with us here, uh, all the Glenmary guys. So we'll get to meet all the Glenmary guys, and I'll give them a tour tour of the monastery and the, the seminary and everything. And, yeah, it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. So looking forward to seeing them. And then it's also opening day for Clemson football. So really excited about that as well. Uh, looking forward to watching a lot of college football. Uh, so, yeah, so that was the bud. And then my thorn from this week was that I accidentally misread one of my assignments, and so I actually read the wrong book. Uh, I was supposed to do a reading from one of one book for a class, and I actually accidentally took the reading from the other book. Um, the, my logic class has a textbook and then another book uh, to go along with it. And um, I read pages 1 through 18 from the textbook as opposed to the other book. Um, luckily, I realized this before class, but uh, it just unfortunately caused a late night the night before because I thought that I was on top of things and was ahead of the game. Uh, by finishing my reading early, but then turns out I did the wrong reading. So all is good. Uh, I was able to get it done, but it was just not not ideal. So, uh, but in the grand scheme of things, if that's the worst worst that happened this week, I think I'm doing pretty good. So, uh, like I said, I'm incredibly blessed. I've had lots of opportunities for great food and fellowship this week, and it's just been been wonderful. So. And I've learned a lot, too, in my classes, which has been really, really good. So before I jump into sharing this week a little bit more about some of my fellow seminarians and some of their stories, I would like to kind of share a few big takeaways from this week during my first full week of classes. And both of these takeaways kind of have to do with why we as Catholic Christians have such a long seminary and formation process for priests. You know, when I tell people that I'm entering a seven-year process of formation, they a lot of them are kind of shocked, and it seems like a lot. And the answer to that question is, well, it should be a lot, because there's a lot that's expected of priests. And... There's a, a concept that was presented in one of my uh, logical analysis classes by my professor who is a uh, Benedictine monk with St. Meinrad. He has a PhD in philosophy, and he basically gave a defense of why he exists and why philosophy as a, um, a discipline exists within the church. And I think he gave a really good outline of um, why philosophy is important for um, priestly formation. So he began with talking about the believer, the Christian believer. And there are certain things that are required of a, to, to be considered a Christian believer and, and receive baptism into the Christian faith. And... 
these basic beliefs and tenets of the gospel, these basic teachings of the gospel, the good news, um, we refer to as the kerygma. And those basic teachings of the Christian faith include belief in Jesus Christ as Lord, belief that he raised from the dead for the forgiveness of sins, and that we have a loving, merciful God who sent his Son to reconcile us and allow us to have eternal life through him. So those are like the basic truths of the Christian faith that the believer is expected to know and to take to heart, right? Then above the believer, you have a catechist who is simply somebody who teaches this basic gospel to others. You know, you have religious ed teachers, you have Sunday school teachers who take this basic, these basic truths of the faith and um, help to build up the church uh, and help to spread the church and the, and the, and the gospel to others in a very rudimentary way so that they can receive the sacrament of baptism. And then above catechists, you have apologists. And apologists have a much more in-depth um, knowledge of the faith than, say, a catechist, because they have to be able to defend the faith and, and use arguments and logic to persuade others um, about maybe specific points of doctrine, right? So you're arguing in defense of specific points of doctrine, and that requires a little bit more knowledge of kind of the background of how those pieces of doctrine developed. And then finally, ultimately, you have a theologian who um, is one step above an apologist, and they need to be somebody who's really thinking with the church and is able to, in a sense, not only read the catechism and understand it, but actually be somebody who is able to write the catechism. And that was kind of the big distinction that stood out from this whole discussion was that he said a catechist needs to be able to read the catechism and a theologian needs to be able to write it. And in other words, you need to have as a theologian a deep enough knowledge of the history of philosophy and church history and, you know, all these different thi things to be able to understand not only what the church teaches, but why it came to those conclusions and how those doctrines developed and all these different things. And there's a lot there to learn. Um, and that requires a lot of schooling not only in, like I said, church history, but also in philosophy and the fundamental uh, thought process behind that and how human reason factors into all of that. And it's, it's really complex. I've, I've come to learn just in this first week of classes that there is so much more to learn about the Catholic faith than I ever thought possible. Um, and for anybody that has studied the faith, they will um, likely come to that same conclusion that there's infinitely more 
that you could study than you could ever possibly capture in a lifetime. And this isn't necessarily to say that every priest is expected to be a theologian in the academic sense. You know, not all of us are going to write 1,200-page um, PhD dissertations on super abstract subjects, but every priest is called to be a theologian in an everyday sense, in that we are expected to be specialists and experts in the field of church history, because as the public faces of the church, people will come to us expecting answers. And, you know, if as clergy we can't give satisfactory answers to people's questions, that's not really a great look for the church. And that's not to say that you have to be able to answer every gotcha question as a priest. Nobody's expecting that. But you're certainly expected to have a much more in-depth knowledge than somebody who is simply a catechist or a religious ed teacher or even, you know, a paid layperson working with the church. Because, again, you've gone through all of these years of formation, so... Anyway, that was just a really interesting distinction there that he made, um, and I think a really good defense of why philosophy exists as a dif discipline and why um, it's necessary for priestly formation. The other thing that struck me about this week was our ministry assignments that we all received. So on Wednesday of this past week, we uh, all of us seminarians gathered in the auditorium to receive our ministry assignments for the year. And my class, the Discipleship One students, uh, will be working with St. Vincent de Paul in Louisville, which is about an hour away, and working in different um, social services type places. So will be working, rotating between a soup kitchen, a homeless shelter, and a woman's and children's shelter. And what I found really interesting and really um, quite well thought out was the fact that each level of formation had a different type of ministry that they were focusing on. And this was done really intentionally. So our first discipleship group, uh, which is the first level of formation, is focusing this year on service to the poor, right? The, the people that are, need homeless shelters and, you know, food soup kitchens and stuff like that are typically people that, um, that can't hold down a job and uh, maybe have some, some mental handicaps, maybe, um, maybe they've just fallen on hard times. Um, and those are one very specific type of ministry, working with the poor, right? And then the Discipleship 2 group, their focus is helping to serve the working poor 
and the working poor have slightly different needs than just the, the basic poor. The basic poor are, I would say, folks who are having trouble meeting their basic material needs. And so that's what serving the basic poor is all about, is helping people meet their basic needs of food, shelter, and clothing, um, that sort of thing. But the working poor need other assistance, like, say, you know, getting their immigration status worked out and helping with, you know, maybe they had a big medical emergency and they need help paying medical bills, um, or they, they're, they're working paycheck to paycheck and they need help paying their um, electric bill one month, that sort of thing. So that's the um, working poor. The third-year students in the first configuration level will be focusing this year on campus ministry. And so all of those guys were assigned different universities and colleges in the area to go serve as campus ministers and help out with campus ministry activities. And that's a much different type of ministry, uh, but also important in its own way, you know, serving young people and young adults. The second configuration group, the, the fourth level of formation, they will be focusing on hospital ministry. And that is another type of ministry that is also very important, but certainly very different from what we're doing in first discipleship or even what second discipleship is doing in serving the working poor, serving the um, elderly community uh, in hospice centers and hospitals and the sick is a completely different skill that needs to be developed uh, and it's an important part of priestly ministry. Uh, the third configuration stage, the, um, the fifth level of formation, is working on catechetical ministry. So they are working in parishes, uh, helping with faith formation, helping with RCIA and youth group and things like that. Um, so they're directly involved in teaching the faith. And then the final level of formation this year for their ministry will be focusing on um, working in parishes um, and shadowing priests as they prepare for um, becoming ordained as deacons. Some of them already are ordained deacons, um, but as they prepare to become ordained priests. so. And each of these types of ministry helps to develop certain skills that we will all need in our future ministry as ordained priests. And they're all important parts of becoming a well-rounded whole. And like I said, each level develops certain skills of working with people and you're working with different types of people in each of these different environments. And so I really think as a whole, this kind of shows the development of the priest throughout the different years of formation and kind of why it's, it's important to have those different experiences as part of formation. Um, and that's part of why the formation process takes so long is because it's really important to have these, diff these 
this kind of well-rounded sense of experience in all of these different arenas. So for this week's episode, I have another Glen Mary Seminarian as a guest. His name is Gabriel Strong, and he is from Ohio. So welcome, Gabriel. Thank you very much. It's we're happy pleasure. to have you here on the show to uh, share a little bit about your story. So if you could uh, start by just giving us a little bit of background as, as to who you are and why you uh, felt drawn to join Glen Mary. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, southern Ohio, kind of along the Ohio River, a little place called Brown County. And uh, that's actually where uh, Father William Howard Bishop was assigned to uh, St. Martin Chapel there when he was uh, working on the plan for founding Glen Mary. And, uh, and St. Martin's was the, one of the first Glen Mary parishes, right? No, no, it was a diocesan parish, but okay. he was, the, the bishop, Archbishop of Cincinnati allowed him to stay there for a time while he was working out his plan. Um, gotcha. And I do live near one of the first Glen Mary parishes. It's um, Holy Trinity in West Union, Ohio, and also uh, St. Mary's in Peebles, Ohio. Are Very cool. Within about 20 minutes of where I grew up. So, oh, um, but, uh, you know, I grew up, I'm, I'm a convert to Catholicism, first of all, and I grew up kind of the way I think a lot of people do in America, vaguely Protestant, but not really practicing. We didn't read the Bible, but we had a, a layman's understanding of who Jesus was. And um, that is a good recipe, um, for, if you're a parent, it's a good recipe for raising apathetic, agnostic children, and that's eventually what I became. I was an, actually an atheist for most of my adolescence, and then just through a personal uh, religious experience, I found God as an adult, and um, I started looking for a church, and I found the Catholic Church based on uh, the writings of the early church fathers, uh, the New Testament. It came to be very clear to me that the Catholic Church was not just a church, but the church founded by Jesus Christ, and to not follow that would be, you know, I, I couldn't not pursue it, knowing yeah. that. So, very um, cool. And you know, where I grew up in Ohio, it's actually very heavily influenced by the culture of Eastern Kentucky and Appalachia, simply because in the 1940s there was a mass migration of people from Appalachia to places like Cincinnati and Chicago when the coal mines dried up, they were looking for work in the, fa in the factories there. And um, I've always, you know, I, I, would, I grew up going to family reunions down in the mountains and I've always had this very deep connection to Appalachia and now I have this beautiful thing that I didn't have when I was growing up that is the Catholic faith and I want to share that with these people who you know, mean the most to me, who are very close to my heart, you know, the, the mountain people of Appalachia, for sure. And that was, that was when I found Glen Mary and I realized I could possibly do that, that was uh, a really, wa a, a watershed moment for me. That's really cool that you have that deep connection to Appalachia and you found a way through Glen Mary to be able to kind of pursue that in a Catholic context and for me uh, my connection to Appalachia isn't quite as deep as as yours I have some family in the Appalachian Mountains but for me it was kind of just uh, almost like 
an ideal place for me because I grew up on, in the, on the beach and I wanted to be in the mountains, but I didn't want to be super far out west away from family. And mm -hmm. so the Appalachians for me have always been kind of that, that ideal middle ground of it's, it's still mountains, but it's not uh, super far away from family and stuff. So, yeah. uh, but it's always interesting to hear kind of what drew people to mm -hmm. specifically the Appalachian ministry, because it is definitely a very unique ministry for mm -hmm. sure with Glen Mary. So. Yeah, I first learned about Glen Mary uh, actually from a book, a book in the clearance section of a Catholic bookstore that I used to patronize in Cincinnati. And uh, it was called Mission to Rural America. It was about Father Bishop and the founding of Glen Mary. And I read in the book that it, they were based in Fairfield, Ohio, which was 45 minutes from where I grew up. So I, you know, I went online, I researched them, I just kind of fell in love based on what I was reading online, and then I filled out the vocation inquiry form there on the website. I got a call that evening from Father Vic Subb, a Glen Mary priest who was helping out in the vocations department. And uh, he said, you know, anytime you want, just come on down to headquarters. And I said, oh yeah, maybe I'll do that next week. You know, that'll, that'll be great. And then I, we hung up and I immediately got in the car and drove to headquarters. <laughs> and um, No wasted yeah, time there. Yeah, so I, That's I, awesome. I went there and I, you know, I was walking around the beautiful property. And it's weird because it's right in the middle of the ugly industrial part of uh, Fairfield, Ohio. But once you turn onto the property, it's like you're in a nature preserve. Yeah, they've done a really great job yeah. at headquarters, haven't they? So I'm walking around this property alone, and Father Steve Pawuk, another Glen Mary priest, uh, finds me. And I tell him, oh, yeah, I, I'm actually looking for Father Vic. And he said, oh, well, he's, he's busy right now, but I can lead you to the, the novitiate chapel uh, and wait for him. And I said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. So I went in there and I prayed the rosary, and it was this lovely little chapel in, a, in an old converted farmhouse. And in the middle of the rosy, rosary, Father Vic comes in and we have a great talk. And by the end of that visit, I had signed up for uh, the come and see trip to go and see the Glen Mary missions and uh, kind of get to get a better sense of what it would be to pursue a Glen Mary vocation. And while I was on that trip to our missions in Rutledge, Tennessee and Maynardville, Tennessee, that's when I first visited the Glen Mary Volunteer Program at what we call Tapa Joppa because it's on the top of Joppa Mountain. And I met Joe Grosick, who's the director of that program. And he told me that initially when the program was first founded, it was part of men's formation in Glen Mary. Um, to be long-term volunteer managers of this program. And so I jumped at that. And I put in my application and the next fall I quit my job, cashed in my 401k and I followed God's breadcrumb trail into the mountains. And uh, very cool. the volunteer program is really great. It's, um, <coughs> so there are anywhere from one to four full-time long-term volunteer managers who live on the property on top of Joppa and we host groups from high schools and colleges, Catholic high schools and colleges for a week at a time usually. And they'll come down and they do different service projects. So we, it's a lot of uh, free construction, working in food pantries, different things to help alleviate the sting of the systemic material poverty that is very pervasive in Appalachia today. And it's just part of 
you know, doing the social mission of the church, but also we work in conjunction with our missions there because many people are still suspicious of the Catholic faith in these places where it's never really been or where it's never had a strong foothold. And it's a lot of dispelling misconceptions, you know. And toward the end of my time there, you know, when I was, when I would go into the little country diner there in Rutledge and I would get talking to people, get talking to the waitresses, I'd tell them, oh yeah, I work for the Catholic Church. They'd say, oh, the Catholics, they're the ones who help people. And that was, that, that was it. That was what drove the nail in the coffin. And I, That's so cool. I got on the phone with Brother David Henley, the vocations director for Glen Mary, and uh, I said, I'd like to formally apply to Glen Mary. And so I did, and I got accepted. And several months later, here we are sitting in a kitchen table. And uh, yep. we, had, we, we both had a lot of interesting experiences since we've been here, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, we went to a mosque the other day. That was yeah for part of his uh, comparative religions class. So yeah, yeah, that was an interesting experience. Yeah, so we visited the mosque. It was it's been it's been great to be here for a few weeks with you now and mm -hmm. get to know you and a little bit more about your story. And it sounds like for you, uh, as it was for me, it was kind of just this instant click mm -hmm. with Glen Mary. As, as soon as you found out about it, you're like, wow. Once this I was in that kind of lines up everything that um, I was, you were envisioning and you kind of had hoped to, to do and kind of aligned a lot of your different interests yeah. kind of all came together. And so. like, I mean, that's the, that's the intellectual side, but also there's, you know, once I set foot in that novitiate chapel on the Glen Mary property, and I was just there in this converted farmhouse living room with an altar and a tabernacle, and I was just on my knees praying the rosary. I was like, this is home. I'm home. I haven't felt this comfortable at any point in my adult life. This is amazing. And all the, I've never met a Glen Marion who I didn't really like and admire, and I've never had that experience in any other workplace in my life, for sure. It's a very rare experience. And yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, I feel like I'm at home with my brothers, with my family in Glen Mary. It's great. Very cool. Well, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to share more of your story and mm -hmm. looking forward to spending some time with you here and over the next several months and years as um, we journey together through formations. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, have a wonderful afternoon and we'll talk to you later. Yeah, will do. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode of the Future Father Dave podcast. I'm eternally grateful for this opportunity to share my journey with you. And I pray that in sharing my story, I can inspire you in your own spiritual journey.